In this episode, I interview Tony J. Salimi, where we talk about his new book, Hashtag Loneliness. We talk about what it was like to be homeless, the importance of being a good listener, your relationship that you have with your technology, and something that Tony calls the human energy field. Stay tuned and enjoy. Hi guys, welcome to the Johnny Cassell Show. Hi guys, it's me, Johnny Cassell, and welcome to the Johnny Cassell Show. Today I have a very special guest with us. It's Tony J. Salimi. Hello. Now, Tony is a very well-known international human behaviorist and cognition expert. I like that. You like that? Good. I like that. I you know when like, someone asks you, oh, what do you do? I always, I just have fixed people now, yeah. you know, but I like the, the cognition, cognition expert. expert. Yeah. And another, another term I've heard you use as well is the see-through coach. The see-through coach, I like yes. the see-through coach. It's unique. Well, it yeah, is. It's nobody uses that, so, you know. So, I think we should start this, you know, for those that, that, haven't, that haven't heard uh, about yourself, uh, I, I know that, you know, I've, I've seen some interviews that you've done already online. You, know, you did a fantastic talk uh, for the UN, which was uh, very good. Um, and it, I saw you on a US show as well. And something that really resonated with me, something you said, was that you know, just like you put your car in for an MOT, you know, we need to actually take care of our own vehicle, like yep, ourselves. We absolutely. need to put ourselves through an, an MOT. Uh, which really resonated with me because you know we just do we just get caught up in life, and um, we don't really have time to sort of take a look inside. So that was really cool. Tony, what's your story? My story. Um, well, I came to England about twenty-seven years ago, and I actually escaped the civil war. In fact, uh, my mother saved my life from being in civil war before Yugoslavia. So I ended up homeless on the streets of London. Wow. Wow. How long were you homeless here in London? Um, I lived homeless for about six months. Okay, I mean, how do, how do you survive when you, I mean, I see homeless guys all the time, and they just kind of take it for granted, like, okay, that, so you don't really think about the bigger picture, you know, yeah. the day-to-day, what, what, is, what sort of day-to-day stuff do you go through when you're being home, whilst you're homeless? Uh, for me, it was different, because it wasn't really a choice to be homeless, it's just the whole circumstances around me at that time, um, leaving a home and a country where you grew up with, where you felt secure suddenly civil war strikes and uh, destroys everything you believe in. And then your life is threatened every single second. And then, you know, normally your parents will do anything to get you out of there. And so that's what my mother did. She borrowed some money from a neighbor and it was the last flight coming from Macedonia to England. And when I arrived, I simply was scared. And, you know, having been brought up in a normal family, hardworking family, having you know, home and, you know, clothes and having a normal reality where, you know, you don't think about food, you don't think about the struggles that you will face one day. Suddenly you see the entire country collapsing, yeah. the entire system collapsing, you know, people killing one another and, you know, brothers turning to each other. And, you know, we grew up as one community. We didn't grow up to have all this nationalism that was brought about um, with the breaking up of Yugoslavia, but being homeless on the streets of London was terrifying yeah, in many aspects because, uh, first of all, I only had about 200 Deutschmarks, which was at the time, I would say now, probably about 100 quid. It's not going to go and far, is it? <laughs> yes, but I had to ration, I had to think about what, how long will that, you know, um, keep me on the streets surviving. And I remember, I mean, I used to simply live on bread and occasionally I would buy milk. Wow. Yeah. So how far, how, how long did you last on 100? Well, um, it's basically, it's, I lasted about five and a half months and then a lady from Puma. On 100? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I would take a loaf of bread and I would make it last for a week. Wow. And I would just live on bread and water. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, 
Obviously, your diet's changed now. Yeah, <laughs> diet has changed now for sure. Yeah, hopefully, but that's what I used to go through. And then I remember I met a lady from Macedonia who we started chatting, and suddenly she said, "No, you're not going to stay homeless. You're going to come to my place. Uh, you can stay for the weekend, and I'll help you find a job." Wow, bless her. And she did help me find a job. She put me uh, towards some job agencies, which I applied, and luckily for me, I got a job next day. Amazing. And straight away I got a job working in a restaurant with a living physician. So I was working Great. pretty much 18 hours a day. Great. And that was the beginning of me, you know, trying to make sense of my reality and trying to get back myself back on track. Mm -hmm. But during this six-month period, I wasn't really thinking about food. I was thinking about the grief and I was thinking about the emotions and people I left behind, people I lost during the civil war and trying to make sense what happened. Yeah. What I found very interesting whilst I was... Um, reading your book and I haven't completed the book yet but you know and this is the book by the way guys if you haven't got it already it's hashtag loneliness and I think you raise some really interesting points in it I think that um yeah you talk about you know being lonely in the the modern day and I think this is something that wherever you're from whatever your background you can really relate to that I think um you know in the modern day culture that we live in we can feel lonely even in our relationships. We can Absolutely. feel lonely in social settings because not, not many people, I'm seeing it, it's increasing, we're not present anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we talk about, oh, you're always on your phone, you're, but it is actually a problem. It is, and I've spoke about it on some of my podcasts recently as well, like, you know, have a switch off period and stuff like this. Um, and you mentioned as well, like London is one of the biggest cities in the world. And the irony of it is probably the most loneliest, right? Um, so tell me a bit about, because what you do, what you mentioned as well is you, you talk about, and I've got a quote here, which I love, and this is on page 67. L you open up the, the chapter uh, with this. Loneliness does not come from having no people around you, but from being not able to communicate the things that seem important to you. And from what you just said there about, you know, you're caught up in your mind about the grief and the trauma and the emotional difficulties you do you feel that's where that kind of quote came from? Um, not just that. Many other things have happened to me ever since. It's like I meet thousands of people, and I used to run a lot of workshops between 2012 and 14. And every human being, even in the corporate world, there's loneliness, but nobody talks about it. There's this stigma yeah. about loneliness, and people feel ashamed about it. And when you think about it, we are extremely complex human beings, and we haven't been taught how to really master our inner being. So we've been taught consistently how to master the life outside of ourselves. Yeah. And the daily distractions, I call them, uh, keeps us almost um, incongruent with our true being within the self. And therefore, there's not much of a presence in a human being if you meet them. Mm -hmm. Now, wherever you go in London or around the world, or you go to the airport or you're on a bus, people are lonely. Yeah. And they don't communicate anymore. And it's almost become uh, strange to strike a conversation with a random stranger. And so how, how are we going to tackle that? I mean, how, how are we in society today going to tackle these, you know, our inner demons? And, you know, I mean, also as well, like being quite entrepreneurial, um, you know, you do feel slightly disconnected mm -hmm. with the, you know, the wider audience out there. Because, yeah. you know, you're on a different uh, time scale from most people. Uh, not, a not a lot of people can really associate with your daily struggles and stuff. What sort of advice, because I know you work with a lot of business people, mm -hmm. what sort of advice can you offer people that are in this situation on how to really tackle this? I mean, the first thing is actually identify the form of loneliness that you have within yourself. Because loneliness shows up in our lives in different forms. You know, you mentioned earlier on loneliness in a relationship. Yeah. Okay? So, and you could be lonely being in a work environment. Yeah. or you could be lonely being out socially. And I see it consistently when people go out socially and they are lonely. And the first thing is that most people are afraid to talk. You know, we've created this society where people are not able to express themselves. And therefore, there's a lot of fear around why people are not speaking their tr inner truth. Now, you know, recently we co-created a documentary with my clients called Living My Illusion. And this is specifically about men going through mental health and through midlife crisis problem. Now, men, you can imagine if you're married, 
very interesting topic. With Not many process, people yeah. would go about and go back to their partner and say, I have a mental health problem because you will feel they are weak. Yeah, emasculated. And emasculated, and therefore all this stigma that gets attached to, to men, and they isolate themselves, and that brings you back into what I call in hashtag loneliness, puts you on a path where you go into the caves of wretched solitude, where you simply become imprisoned in your own darkness, mm -hmm. and you have no way out of that inner prison that we create. That's why I, I believe firmly that every human being would benefit from great coaches, mentors, and healers, and being able to have somebody they can open up to. And usually, it's strange, but it's very common people open up to a total stranger, but not to a friend or a partner. Yeah, and this is something I've been speaking quite heavily on at the moment. It's, you know, when we talk about relationship issues, we've got, you know, the, the vague advice that's out there is, oh, you've got to communicate. But, you know, like, what? What is that? Like, what do you mean? And I think people don't communicate their inner problems or their, you know, their loneliness or their desires and their wants, their needs, because they they fear that there's that they feel that there's a shame or consequence attached to sharing. Mm -hmm. So I think that yes, there's certainly a side that we need to be talking about. You know, don't bottle this up, you know, but express it. But also, I think. We, there's another message we need to be sending out to people, like maybe say if we are in relationships, um, for people to not shame someone for mm -hmm. sharing, you know? Because if you're in a, a long-term relationship, you know, and, and, and someone takes their guard down and they show how vulnerable they are, that it's just wrong to punish someone through that, you know? It's, um, you don't grow. Yeah, right. but the problem I see, uh, Johnny, is most of the couples that I've worked with, it's uh, not many people have been taught how to listen. Yes. Okay. So, that so what did you say? <laughs> 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 so when people are not being taught how to listen, uh, it's very difficult for a partner in a relationship to co communicate their inner thoughts. Mm -hmm. Because the first thing I've noticed when I start working with people, I'm sure you've done the same, it's how straight away there's a judgment no matter what you say. Or yes. there's an opinion. Yes. And yes. sometimes the person does not even want an opinion. They just want for you to sit in there and listen without giving the solution. I agree. And most partners are used to this like almost like they project their own values outwardly to their partner. But we as human beings, we are complex in the sense that each person is unique with their true authentic values. And our values are the operating system that really drives us and how we think and how we perceive the world and how all the information we absorb from our external environment with our five senses goes into our body and the way it gets processed. And that is absolutely unique to every human being. And this is where I believe in the, uh, um, the support that experts can help you with, being able to be the mirror from which you can self-reflect and be able to take you slowly and uh, safely towards the road in which you see all those disempowered states and beliefs that you may have inside of yourself or certain values which we hold dear and we think like we cannot change. What I'm interested in is, you know, I, I work a lot of, with uh, a lot of people in relationships or looking to find someone, build up their confidence, self-esteem. You work with a lot of business professionals and corporates and stuff like that. What are the concerns of you know, people in those environments? Like, what are you doing when you're working with these guys? Mm -hmm. Well, biggest concern is like stress. You know, a lot of people have stress, but not just that. They have massive demand on their time. Now, in today's world, uh, most people are expected to, to, to do five people's jobs, but right. with the same time of one person's job. So that causes a lot of distress, but also they have problems in their, uh, within themselves with their confidence issues and you know, the not good enough factor. And also every word today is being measured. Mm -hmm. So as an influential person or as a business person, if you come up with something, somebody somewhere will catch you. It's almost like we live in this blame culture instead of being able to listen to one another. I mean, all you have to do is look at the media and the way media portrays information out there without giving you the full, complete picture of any situation. Similarly, in the work environment, yeah. um, you know, most um, companies, they are in business because they need to make profits. That's number one. 
Now, if the company doesn't make profits, they have to take certain measures. And often, most companies go, the first measure is to remove staff. And for me, it's not the staff that's the problem. What's the problem, Terry? It's the overall organizational mindset and uh, not being aligned to the company's true value and the way the services are being run within the company. Because sometimes you can go into the processes of the company and you'll find a lot of problems within the processes. Mm -hmm. Other times you see problems within leadership. Other times you see problems within senior management, also the problems from processes to communications to the way people behave. So it's more about the development of the individuals within the company. That's the problem yeah. as opposed to getting rid of them. Correct. I mean, it's basically, we since like the 2008 financial crash, most companies have almost renewed the budgets for personal development. Right. And, you know, for me... That's wrong. I mean, if it, I think if, you, if you're working of any sort of company, you expect some sort of coaching, yeah. like on the job or, you know, some, some time out for them to put you on to yeah. adapt to, you know, the new world, etc. But it's the same even in the companies. I noticed like some of my executive uh, clients, although they have internal coaches, they don't want the internal coaches because they also don't want the, uh, I would say, the information being disclosed within the company. That I can so there's, uh, there's the fear also around that saying, okay, if I'm going to go for an internal coach, this coach might have to give feedback to the HR and to the company. You don't want to so be like the gossip of the office. Correct. Yeah. So therefore, again, it's this almost like uh, fear of not being true to who you are and not being true to... That shame again. The shame again and the consequence. Yeah. And instead of us focusing on actually bringing the, the greatest of ourselves and being able to perform as conscious leaders within the company, and also activate leadership in every human being, we tend to spend most of our time wasting time. I mean, all you have to do is like look at how much time and money has been wasted around Brexit, around one decision, which was basically based on misinformation. Now, every day we do that mm -hmm. in different areas in our life. And in business, it's the same. People make decisions consistently without really thinking the overall complete picture of what that decision will have an impact across every single layer of the organization. And people as a leaders or senior execs and people I work with, that is a massive responsibility for them to handle. And then they come out of balance and uh, that will affect them, has a knock-on effect on their family, on their children, on their confidence, you know, the things they want to do but they don't have time anymore to do. And people will work late hours and nowadays it's almost acceptable for you to work 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And if you don't, sounds you know, normal to me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and if you don't, again, there's the other stigma. You know what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. So you know we've moved away from actually appreciating and valuing people, and then we consistently expect people to do more and more and more and more, and we put them into a burnout, yeah. and nobody performs well under burnout. So therefore, mistakes will be made. I'm I'm constantly uh, burning myself out. To be honest with you, I work like you know so many hours a week, and then I'll have to have a day where I just. Ooh, I just shut down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just looks like shut down the computer. <laughs> so not rebooting, shut down. <laughs> I reboot, but it takes me a while to get back in it. But uh, yeah, I think that's a different. Yeah, I think that's a challenge when you, you know, you're you're running your own business. Yeah. Um, you want to try and you know have a hands-on with everything, but I think it's. I was at a talk the other day of Richard Branson. He was mm -hmm. talking about you know. At four o'clock, he doesn't take any meetings afterwards. It's like playtime. Then, yeah. so, you know what? Like, maybe we all need to, maybe we all need to uh, have that sort of discipline in our life too. You know, because we need. You know, it's like we're working so hard if there's no fun time, right? Yeah. I, I always believe in the balance. You know, you mm. work and then you play. And you know, for me personally, I feel fortunate today because I've created a lifestyle business where basically I, I get to do both. Yeah. Even with my clients, when I go and take them to like Menorca, where I do my five-day intensive coaching, life planning for elevated living, mm -hmm. we do a lot of study, a lot of work, a lot of play on the beach and sports and everything else. So there's a balance every single day generated with fun, with food, yep. with meditation, with elements. So you actually feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole different like topic. We could speak ages about that. I mean, you know, I'm the worst. I wake up and I'm I'm lying in bed. I'm just on the phone. I'm, I haven't even had breakfast yet. And well, I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I'm hungry. And then I'm like, ah, you're not hungry. Keep going. But have you noticed, uh, you know, a lot of people asking me, especially people who are single. And the truth is, we have made our mobile phone a relationship. 
you know, yeah. we formed a new relationship with technology. Yeah. And basically, a lot of people, are, the first thing they do exactly that. They open up the phone. And I said to them, so you're not making love the first thing you wake up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. People don't make love anymore. <laughs> you know? They go to their phone. And I said, you know, you're expecting. Oh, what's that? Oops. <laughs> spamming. We had a little spamming, spamming in there. So people don't make love <laughs> when they wake up. <laughs> Was that your girlfriend? <laughs> no, <laughs> she's trying. She's we got trying, all this technology. Yeah. She, <laughs> probably, she probably was looking at all this. Uh, it's like I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it's a new problem. It's a new problem that we are consistently distracted by technology. Yeah. And uh, we've almost uh, removed ourselves from what it means to be uh, in touch with ourselves, but also with people that we have around and people we love and people we connect, especially people we are in relationship with. Yeah. It's, it's really ironic. We've got all these, so many like, great tools that we can use to bring ourselves together with people from afar or near. But, um, you know, and they are great tools. You can't yeah. ignore that. It's, um, it's managing them when you're using them. And if you're overly using them, I guess, you know. Something I want to talk about as well is uh, you talked a little bit about the law of attraction. Yep. And you talk about uh, HEF. Mm -hmm. So for the people that are out there that what the hell is HEF? What is HEF? HEF, mm -hmm. okay. That's a terminology which I invented, mm -hmm. and it's about the human energy field, mm -hmm. okay. Most people uh, think about human energy field as the aura, but a lot of people who do not understand science or are left-brainers, they almost dismiss the reality that they even have one, mm -hmm. okay. But in today's world, where we have the technology now to show us that we do have one, people started being more acceptable about that. But human energy field is like we are energy body, okay? It's if you were to take different scanners and scan you through the body, it's in one scanner might show you your organs, the other scanner might show your skeleton, the other uh, scanner might show the consistency of your brain, the other one can go in even further until you disappear. So you don't even see anything apart from nanoparticles within yourself. Wow, okay. So, you know, and if you think about, uh, we have trillions of atoms in our body. Now, if you understand science, you will know that every atom has its electron, its positrons, and um, its neutron. Mm -hmm. So each one of them vib vibrated at a different speed within ourselves. So the human energy field is all of those vibrations that get generated within ourselves. Now, when I work on a healing level, the moment I touch the human body, I can see a lot of things that most people don't. I can see why these women are calling you. Most people do not see that, but when I make, a, a, I would say, an analogy and a metaphor with technology, then people start really understanding that, meaning uh, it's common for us to understand technology. We have a mobile phone, and it connects to a master that sends a signal. But we don't see the signal. You know, we don't see anything that in the air that comes to your mobile phone, and you see trillions of information, videos, and stuff like that. You just see the end result. Mm -hmm. Now, in the thin air, we have tremendous amount of information that human eye does not see, nor human body does not accept. You know, uh, that is real, because if we don't see it, we don't acknowledge it. But if you go into the different instruments that we can measure, you can see clearly what kind of frequencies we use to send and transmit information. Now, we are both transmitter and a receiver mm -hmm. of information. Mm -hmm. And because we are energy body. Now, whatever happens within ourselves, okay, we transmit it outwardly. Yeah. The only way people can understand that when they are next to a person who's extremely negative. Okay? And they say, so, oh my so God, I, this person is negative. So, so I, what I call that, my question is uh, you know, state transference. Yeah. You know, if, you, yeah, if you've got someone that's negative, then you know, they are outputting that. And it does have, it's quite contagious. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing as if you know, you've got a guy that's you know, he's a good laugh. You know, he's always someone you want to around because he lifts the mood up. Are we talking about the same sort of thing here? Yeah, I mean, I used to think it's contagious. I don't anymore. Okay, why is that? <laughs> well, you know, it's, uh, there's a different set. The only time it's contagious is when you judge. Mm. So because we have not really gone that into attaining in a mastery and equilibrating our brains and our perceptions and being able to see every situation with the full completeness and awareness, 
that's where we attract negativity, and yeah. that's where we feel it's contagious. But in actual fact, it's, you know, it's just simple energy. It's only our perceptions that we put on it, and we say it's negative or positive. So soon it's as not really the energy, the raw energy. We're talking a lot about NLP now. It's like you put a label <laughs> on something and you start associating a feeling with that label. So it's like change the label or just be more awake to yeah. that person isn't actually that. No, you know? it's yeah. basically it's how we actually perceive information. Yeah. And if, for instance, somebody taught us that, let's say that behavior or that thought or that phrase or whatever action that person does, uh, we consider it as a positive, we associate it with a positive thinking and we consider it as negative, we are associated with negative thinking. So therefore, like, like, uh, like attracts like. Mm -hmm. So you're gonna be attracting that which you are avoiding. You, you are attracting that? that what you're avoiding. Did you get that properly? It's <laughs> gonna take me a moment to digest that. <laughs> we need to digest that. Yeah, moment. we're attracting what we're avoiding. Yeah. Okay, okay. Resonates? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like that. So if we're going to avoid pain, for instance, we're going to be consistently attracting pain until we master uh, the emotion that creates the pain. Okay. Again, so it's going to take me a moment to digest that. <laughs> but I like it. I like it. There's some meat in that. I like that. Okay. So there's a lot of skeptics out there that, you know, when, we, when you mentioned the law of attraction, mm -hmm. um, People think it's a bit like wishy-washy and airy-fairy and, um, you know, I mean, I, I know there's, there's people that are quite openly and they publicly you know, see on Facebook all the time. They go, go, how can you think of something and it just kind of come to you? And I, I think that's been taken out of context because I definitely have reference in my life where I create an image in my head of the things that I want and the sort of lifestyle that I want. And, you know, it's not like it just happens, it's there. But it's important that you have this vision and you put it somewhere at the back of your head and then you just carry on doing what you're doing. And I think, um, you know, opportunity. If you're looking to develop this area of your life, head on over to my website, johnnycassell.com and start your journey today. You know, close to us. And I think it's. I think it's actually up to us to realize that's an opportunity and to get up on our ass and see it. I think like part of what the law of attraction teaches is to be a bit more awake to these things because there's opportunity that's kind of happening left, right, and center all the time, but whether you're aware of it is a different thing. I think that exercise of in having that vision of what you want uh, helps you waken up that part of your, your mind. I mean, what, what do you think about that concept? Well, basically, for anybody who's a skeptic, I would say go back to school and go back and study the things you are skeptic about. So if yeah. you're skeptic about how the law of attraction works, go and study it because there's a science behind that. And if you study the maths and the physics and the science behind that, you'll be amazed what you find. And for people who pr probably haven't read, I would say go and study what the scientists at NASA found, which is basically a thought can travel all the way to the moon. And it's been measured. How does it get there? Well, it's exactly that. If you think about uh, everything is fully interconnected. You know, how does a wave come to our mobile phone? Okay, mm -hmm. we're so used to see the technology working, but the law of attraction is no different to the technology we've created. Now I'm scared. Have you been, have you been, have you been <laughs> in an area where you don't have a signal? Yes. And what do you do? Get pissed about it. No. <laughs> Surely you, you want to go like closer somewhere where you go around yeah, and try to, where there's yeah. a signal. Okay? I try to find a better okay. yeah, position. So it's the same. It's like it, there's more likelihood for our thoughts to manifest into reality if we consistently put the energy, the attention, the awareness into it. Agreed. And then we become extremely heightened. Our awareness becomes very heightened. So therefore, we would spot opportunities we normally wouldn't. Absolutely, yeah. So a lot of people... If you really study many of the laws of nature, uh, we're no different to nature. We come from nature. So we've almost become um, deluded what nature is. Mm -hmm. And we've become so disconnected from nature that basically we're afraid from nature. But if you observe what nature does, we are no different to what nature does. Nature destroys, we destroy. Nature builds, we build. You know, one thing about humanity, we're so used to when we create some amazing stuff but then we tend to judge when we destroy things. 
fact, you know, nature does not judge when it destroys. Did the hurricane judge anything? No. Did the hurricane ask who are these people? No, it just destroys the whole land. Okay? Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's, a hum it's in our human nature to be able to consistently evolve and through evolution, we must destroy that which does not serve us anymore. You know, in our body, our body regenerates consistently and it destroys and builds consistently within ourselves. But we don't see that. Mm. And therefore, we don't have an awareness of it. So uh, I see a lot of people when, for instance, in a relationship, you know, I've helped people divorced with love. I'm known in, in the circles where I operate as a coach who helps people divorce with love. So like they have don't a, have to go. Have a divorce party. Absolutely. <laughs> Celebrate a divorce the, uh, party. Because, yeah. you know, the first thing is yeah. couples, they would end up going into arguments and trying to grab the power grab. And for me, yes. those are animalistic behaviors. And if you step into your heart and you step into your superconscious self, which is infinite in its nature, you know it's part of life and you can actually separate, honor each other's truth and move on with love. And this is what Living My Illusion is about. When two people, after being together for 10 years, they come to their own awareness mm -hmm. of the fact that they outgrown each other mm -hmm. and it's time for something new for them. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of people hold on to illusions or beliefs that they might have what a relationship is or what a marriage is. You know, we are upgradable, as upgradable as the technology. And people do not do that MOT, which we started this conversation with. Yeah. And for exactly. me, even at my level of awareness, I consistently invest in my coaching. I consistently have a mentor and a healer that I work every single year. Because right now, I cannot see behind me. You can. Yeah. And I can see behind you. And for me, a great mentor, a great coach will do exactly that. Will bring a different light on a situation that normally you do not see. Absolutely. I think, you know, just touching on that when you're talking about, you know, getting coaching, getting mentorship, you know, there might be people out there think, well, you know, why do I need a coach? Why do I need a mentor? I've never had one in my life. You probably have. You just haven't put that label on them. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that we get a lot of influence and, you know, our greatest teachers are, you know, we haven't really recognized them as mentors, but on reflection, you know, we've learned quite a lot from people that we didn't actually realize were our, our yep. teachers, you know. So we've all had mentors out there, you know. We've they exist, and I think as we get older and older and older, um, you know, and our goals and our dreams get bigger, you know, you need to bring in these specialists to. Uh, so why do we take our car to the MOT? Why don't we do it ourselves? Because we are not equipped with the skills and knowledge to do it ourselves. That's bad. I used to study. <laughs> uh, I used to study motorsport engineering. I, I, I do, but I used to study electrical engineering. Yeah, electrical. Yeah. yeah. What did you study? What? Yeah. Motorsport engineering. Oh wow, motorsport. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I realized I love pissing around on motorbikes and yeah. driving fast cars, yeah. but I don't want to get my hands dirty by repairing them. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you heard about the rallying? Yes, yes. Yeah. I was actually speaking to... Um, well, Dashana, or Marcus. Yeah, yeah, I had a meeting with her the other day. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I went on her verb rally. I took my clients with me because I do coaching and driving. Yeah, yeah. yeah I take my... At the yeah, same time. At the same time, yeah. <laughs> we Fill up the back seat. We go with a sports car, fast cars, and we do a lot of uh, coaching and mentoring while we're driving. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to look yeah. to take part in that. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing experience. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so we talked about HGF. We talked about Law of Attraction. Um, Talk about your book, Loneliness. What would you have a book about? Like, I, I haven't had a chance to read a that one yet. Wisdom. Mm. This is a magical book, by the way. Mm -hmm. Do you want to unleash the magic of the book? It's like on TV. I've done it everywhere. So it's uh, A Path to Wisdom was written in 2014. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people ask me, when did the concept start? The concept start when I was like eight years old. Uh, from very young age, I used to repair TV and radio sets. And back electrical then, engineering. Yeah, there electrical go. engineer. Yeah. I mean, I never studied that. I just, anything electronic, people, all the neighborhood, all the family would bring them. I had a garage in my parents' house. My garage was full of electronics. Yeah. And I would repair. But back then, we didn't have the sophisticated technology we have now. Mm -hmm. In the 70s, you know, we had very pretty basic technology. And uh, I remember when my father bought the first color TV. And it was from a German um, art called Grunding. I'm not sure if you remember. Yeah, I you do remember. You do? You're, yeah. you're, you're too young, but you know. My yeah. parents had a little TV yeah. in the bedroom. And yeah. basically, the first of all, they came without remote control, and then they came with the remote control. Mm -hmm. And with the remote control, you have to go and set up the frequencies manually. 
and you had to have a manual. And the manual was in German, English, French, Italian, but it never was in Serbo-Croat or Macedonian or Albanian. So I remember getting this big dictionary and had to go word by word, try to understand how to uh, set up the channels. And this is the idea, was born saying, what if I could create a manual for humanity to be able to create a perfect picture for themselves, being able to actually fine tune themselves to that level within the self that the picture they see in the world is clear. And this is where it started. And also I used to observe a lot of uh, injustice in the society, especially towards women, towards my mother, towards my sisters. It's a big, big topic at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So it was uh, something that really um, stayed with me for a long time. And uh, also being brought up in a country where Albanians were looked as a minority uh, uh, people, even though years before that country was part of Greater Albania. But you know, as the assimilation happened and as the country was formed and former Yugoslavia was formed, you were not really allowed to be yourself. And wherever you went, whether it's in school, you had limits to how much you can achieve. So for instance, you couldn't be a president of a country or you couldn't be you know, right. prime minister or you know, have like high-end jobs. Mm -hmm. And although in high school, I was one of the top students in maths and physics, which won many awards in former Yugoslavia, uh, I still could not achieve what I wanted because I was seen with a label, and the uh, label was Albanian. And you know, it's and I always thought this is wrong. We, why should we treat one another like that? Because my parents did not teach me to see the society with labels, despite the fact that I was seen, seen through labels. So I just literally knew I had to do something for humanity to help people almost remove, become naked with one another, okay? It's in a Is in that a what sense. we're talking about? Uh, Absolutely, you know, you know, without our trousers on, <laughs> yeah, uh, which you guys don't see, but if you want, you know, we can do an <laughs> X-tube video. <laughs> <laughs> but I always wanted footage. to do something. And, uh, you know, when I was nine, I almost died. And I, I remember being in hospital, and I remember first time when I would have, like, out-of-body experiences. And nobody would be able to uh, explain to me the experiences I was having, but they felt as real as you interviewing me. And the only person who knew about that was Or is this an out-of-body experience? It could be. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was my grandfather and all the Sufi healers that used to heal me at the time. And this is where my curiosity started building up because the medical world, they gave up on me. So my, mo my mom was given a letter saying I will die in three days. So my mother uh, called my father, who at the time used to work in Bosnia. I used to travel 1,000 miles to come and straight away home, preparing for funeral. Then they took me to the same healers who told my parents I'll be one day a great master healer going around the world and what healing they do, people. Yeah, when you talk about healers, what's their practice? What's their, what are they doing? What do you want to know? It's, you know? We heal people. We help people heal. They're just using language to help you, or no? It's yeah. a hands-on healing and uh, certain uh, rituals and processes, and you know, natural energies, and you know, breathing, and what we call nowadays yoga. But you know, back then we didn't really have yoga; mm -hmm. we just had a lot of practices. But it is through these people who I first came across about uh, certain healing techniques to help people ease pain, for instance, you know, migraines, and being able to ease people's headaches and migraines from a very young age. So for me, it used to be almost like a being a magician. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, but you know, it is these people who helped me get off hospital and get better and better. And I started becoming extremely curious. What is it that these people know that the medical science does not know? And why a person who lives in a hut in the middle of the mountain with nothing, basic things like water and didn't even have electricity, candles, could do things that my body would, would feel better and better every single day but I was in hospital, military hospital, and main hospital in Skopje, and I was getting worse and worse, being given pills, 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 pills. Right. So I started really thinking about it. So together with this injustice and everything else, I always wanted to write a manual. And this came about after being made redundant in 2009 from a job I used to love, and I loved very much in technology. and. I really sat down and I said, okay, what is it that I want to do? And this is the time when I joined the KPI program, which is run by Daniel Priestley, mm -hmm. the How to Become a Key Person of Influence. As part of the program, you need to write a book. And I remember sitting down and I said to Daniel, I said, the rest of it, I have 20 years of experience I don't really need, but for sure I would love to write my book because it's been 
in my awareness for 30 years. Yeah. And it's something that we keep postponing. Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> and basically, I sat down and I hired a coach. And uh, I hired actually Mindy, the, the woman they, they recommended. And for me, it wasn't a problem writing a book. For me, it was a problem where do I stop? Because it's exactly, <laughs> it's exactly the same thing as what I've gone through. Yeah. It's postpone, postpone, postpone. It's like, when do I stop my thought process yeah. and actually push that out? Yeah. yeah. So basically, at uh, that time, I wrote a book. But the first book that I wrote did not feel natural to me. It was too much of a push and too much of a doing a book because the program said so. So it didn't feel connected to me. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go back and create that manual. And um, so I went to Brazil. I saw my uh, spiritual teacher, John of God, in Brazil. And I spent the 12 weeks in meditation. And 12 weeks in meditation, I wanted to integrate my scientific background, maths, physics, engineering, technology, with psychology, with NLP, with cognitive behavior, with all the healing work. And I wanted to really create a mathematical formula that makes sense to people. Not just like, you know, here's a healing and people say, well, you know, that does not make any sense to me. But I wanted something which is tangible that people can use on a day-to-day -day basis. And I wanted something that it helps people in create balance across all of the eight key areas of their life. Where basically we enhance our spiritual self and our spiritual abilities, where we start becoming masters of our mind because people who master their mind, they master the universe. Yeah. Then we get in touch with our emotions, and therefore we actually master the way our emotional body works. Then our physical body, and uh, bringing our body into per perfect health and perfect balance. Then our relationship. Then looking into the business and how the business is run, because most people nowadays do not feel loved in business. and not They don't feel nurtured. They don't want to go to work. Yeah. They do it because they expect a paycheck. And then how to really... Uh, remove the limit that we keep telling ourselves this is what I'm worth. So how to help people increase their wealth and their wisdom. Yeah. And therefore use that to drive their own purpose and also have an overall love for themselves and for humanity and be credible what they do for humanity and for the people they love. So I wanted to create a methodology which encompasses all of this area. And this is through those 12 weeks in meditation. I Almost the vision came me mm -hmm. and this is where I sit down and wrote about what is it that protects us and usually in the outer environment we have so many alarms you go to Switzerland in any of the most safest banks you have the most sophisticated alarms now we all know that we have tremendous power within ourselves uh, but that power also it's a power that can destroy and power that can create now this is what we fear we fear our true nature. Mm -hmm. And our true nature is that, a destroyer and a creator. And I said, well, this intelligence, no matter what we call it, whether we call it God, uh, universe, energy, it does not matter. It's just a label. Uh, clearly, it has had some built-in mechanism that protects us. And then when we are not aligned to that, it alarms us. And the question is, are we listening? So the ALARM acronym came into my vision. Mm -hmm. And the TGS Evolutionary Method ALARM, which is now trademarked globally, it's about a conscious engineering processes that bring you to true acknowledgement of love, which helps you achieve the results that most people call miracles. Mm -hmm. And there are unique 25 steps. And if you go through those steps, it will help you not only amplify your awareness, not only will equilibrate your mind, will start activating your um, extrasensory perceptions like the fifth and sixth sense and seventh sense. So you don't need any ayahuasca or any drugs for you to have spiritual experiences. Your body is capable. Your body is capable to do all of those things. But unfortunately we're used to this shortcut. We're used most people want results like a text message. Yeah. So they don't do the real work. This is almost a life manual that in any moment in time, if you open it up, I will guarantee you will bring you a new awareness. And with that, we're going to test it. So you're going to put your left hand on the book. Okay. Now uh, watch, guys. You're all witnessing here. All right. I would like you to close your eyes and take a deep breath in. And just bring your awareness into your heart. And as you silent yourself, do ask 
one question which is personal to you that you would like guidance on. One specific question about you. Not about other people, just about you. And just connect with the book, with the energy of it. And just ask, show me the next steps. And when ready, just open your eyes. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now take the book and you're going to open it randomly. Okay? okay? Randomly, wherever you want. Okay? Now, before we further, this mm -hmm. will become your study for this question. Are you willing to share the question? Yeah. Okay, what was the question? Uh, what's my health going to look like in 40 years? Perfect. Now you're going to start reading loudly from the top. Okay. And read it with a heightened awareness in specifically the question you ask. Not only does the technique help the muscle groups, but also the nervous and lymphatic systems. Mm -hmm. Being passionate about inspiring people to be authentic, reconnecting their body, mind, spirit, and their hearts. When I met these two great individuals, I knew they were equally passionate in what they did. They loved helping the body breathe properly and bringing the body back into a state of alignment so it could function the way it was designed to. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. You have consistently answer after the answer after the answer about the question you asked. What was the question? What's my health going to look like in 30 to 40 years? What is your guidance you're receiving? Then, then. Um, that, well, there's two people that uh, are equally passionate what they do, that they le loved helping the body breathe properly and bringing the body back into a state of alignment so it functioned the way it was designed to. Okay, read that again, that part. Right, so what, what, what you're basically trying to say is I need to go and see two people that are experts in that area to help me with that. No. No? Oh. No. So, <laughs> is the first okay. question is, the question I have for you, Yeah. how well do you breathe? How well do I breathe? Yeah. I don't know if I don't have, I don't feel I have a problem with my breathing. No, no, that's not no. the question I asked. Well, no. I, How I well do you breathe? I breathe well. Okay. What is a well breathing for you? Like into the belly and, mm -hmm. you know, my exhale. Uh, okay. I mean, okay. Yeah. Breath, it's the, um, the elixir of life. Mm -hmm. Okay. If we oxygenize the body consistently, most people have shallow breaths. And therefore, they breathe very yes, shallow. Yes. Okay? So if you want to have long-term health, I would suggest to you have a daily practice of proper breathing. Mm -hmm. Like meditation, right? Meditation. Yeah. Uh, some people switch off in meditation, so it's not really a proper practice unless you do it properly. But the next one is having an alignment. Mm -hmm. Read it. Uh, a state of alignment so it could function the way it was designed to. Okay. So yeah. what does that state of alignment mean? What is the greatest cause to bad health? Um, I don't know, high blood pressure, maybe. And what yeah. causes that? Stress. And what causes that? It could be work, it could be your environment, your, well, your values not being aligned with... Well, if that's true, mm -hmm. if that's true, then every person who is in the same environment will suffer stress, and that's not true. I feel a lot of people experience stress. A lot of people in the same environment? We could be in this environment, for instance, and yes. each one of us will perceive this differently, although it's the same environment. Okay, agreed. So, yeah. which means it's about how you, within yourself, how your perceptual filters observe reality that will cause the body to be out of alignment and in, into a stress position then which will have the further effects within the body so the the message you're getting in there it's about what are you doing from now till whatever period of time you're thinking about your health that keeps you in alignment with your true being because the body it's every time we put our body under stress it's almost like we put in toxins into it mm -hmm. i see a lot of people who are amazing at like being uh 
careful what they eat, but they're not careful what they think. Yes. And unfortunately, when you have that combination with this combination, that is also toxic for the body, no matter how healthy you are. Because I've met people who are extremely healthy who later on, within their 40s, they died. So it's not really about just the health of the food. It's about how you consistently keep your body into alignment and how you think. And your mind is the engine of your body. Mm -hmm. So if you keep a clear mind and if you keep a balanced mind, where basically, as I said earlier on, every time you judge something, you will attract it. Okay? Mm -hmm. And we're so used to be able to judge anything that we perceive to be bad, but we're not thinking about how the judgment changes our chemical reaction within the body. Mm -hmm. so, so become more aware of your internal processes in the way you actually perceive your environment and the way you have a relationship with the environment. But how is that going to help with my... Long-term health? Yeah. Okay. That, that I get to, to manage your, your mind in terms of reacting to situations so you don't you know, flick over to the negative and cause yourself. This, I see that. You know, There's I, a whole chain of time. chemical reaction that happens in the body and I get as a that. result. I get that. Uh, and you're saying that is the solution to maintaining the best possible health I could have. Listen. Yeah. Listen, breathe, and have a great relationship with your inner being. A great relationship with your inner being means that in any situation, in any time, your body will tell you how you feel. Unfortunately, we're not used to listen to that mm -hmm. because we have the because. Mm -hmm. It could be because of a girlfriend, it could be because of a job, it could be because of a parent, it you, could you be because of a like, society. I, I do this quite a lot. When It's like there's a Lego brick on the floor. Mm -hmm. Right, and you step on the Lego brick, and you go, ah, fucking, ah, yeah. and it, this is exactly so, what I'm saying. Yeah, that's yeah. so what I'm getting at. You, know, yeah. you work your way up into an unnecessary level of stress. Stress, correct. And you know, I have like the other day, I jammed my finger in a door, and I just quickly went, okay, and it just moved on. However, you know, I've seen people like they have these little incidents, and they go, ah, ah, yeah. <laughs> like it's just completely unnecessary. Yeah. Right? So I, I, I understand what you're saying, and that's how I can relate to. Yeah, but the, the human awareness does not have the capability to be able to bring all of the events together mm -hmm. by the time the illness manifests in the body. Mm -hmm. For me, illness is the last communication of your body to you. Mm -hmm. When you have ignored yourself and your body and all of those alerts, which I talk about in the alarm, that the body consistently gives you, but you constantly ignored it. Mm -hmm. okay? And eventually, the accumulative effect, it's an illness of the body. Okay. It's when I look, I had the fortune to meet people who been healthy all the way to 96, 98, and they died of natural health, natural process. And I've had the opportunity to meet people from a very young age who have strict line of illnesses. You know, it's, um, I was in Menorca, and if you have a chance, do see one of the videos of my clients, where my clients flew me there with the entire family to observe the family dynamics and the work with the family energy. Okay, Now, Everybody got ill but me. In their mindset, it's the moment you get the flu, I get the flu. Mm -hmm. In my mindset, it's not. If you get the flu, that's good for you. Deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a healer, so for mm -hmm. me, it's sort of, it, it does not mean. Because a lot of people, we, we have these beliefs that become firm into our body without ever questioning if that's true. Now, if it's true that the virus can infect you straight away. The entire planet will be infected straight away. If it's true that the moment we go into a tube station with one person having the flu, the whole carriage will be full of flu. And that's not true. So therefore, clearly, each person has a different level of defense mechanism. And what actually helps that person to have a different level of defense me mechanism, it's the inner alignment. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm getting it. Yeah? I'm getting it, yeah. So, you know, yeah. if you keep telling yourself, I'm going to have a car crash, I'm going to have a car crash, it's more likely you're going to have one. Well, or, I, I, on that note, I tell you, I, I got done for, when I was younger, I got done for being on the phone whilst driving or something like that. Yeah. So I went to, like, this awareness course, mm -hmm. right? And, you, you know, the guy was standing at the front of the room saying, oh, you know, why shouldn't we do this? And this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. Took up a whole day. And as I was driving back, like, bang, there's a crash right in front of me. And I was <laughs> seconds, seconds away, away from, from being involved yeah. in that. And I was like, 
holy shit, like, you know, that's where it's working against me. Yeah, but you, you know? can actually work it for you as well. Mm, yeah. And this is what I noticed that how um, most people uh, in, in our awareness and in society, their attention span is very small. Okay, and also the way they listen and the way they observe and the way they have an awareness about the situation. You know, we look at, for instance, any of the events that happened around the planet in the last year. Okay, we only get to see not even 0.000001% of what truly happened in that event. Yeah. But then we absorb that as a true and then our body reacts to that as something traumatic or something to celebrate. And when we have those high and lows, this is the worst thing that you can do to your body. Mm -hmm. yeah. And a lot of people um, tend to associate love when you are high. Yeah, I agree. And this tells you exactly the science of actually what love is. And um, the methodology in the background, if you truly follow it in the, the order that is meant to be done, those 25 steps, so anything, you, we kept mentioning this. So the first part is the awareness, okay? Yep. When we bring our awareness to any situation, to any thought, to any belief, to any value, to any, uh, I would say, uh, difficulty we might have in our life, the first thing we can do is awaken certain states within ourselves and yep. certain knowledge, certain wisdom. And if we don't have it, we can go and find out. Yep. And once we have that awakening, the the second part is, are we alert to it? Okay, mm -hmm. Because most people are not even alert to it. They don't see a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. As I said, they will just leave it and they will see the accumulative effect. But then they don't even pay attention. And then when you ask them something and say, oh, I know that. Really, well, if you know it, why do you have a problem with it? And this is how we learned uh, to say, for instance, oh, I know how to do podcasts. Okay, mm -hmm. So if you know how to do podcasts, why don't you have a million followers? Okay, because knowing for me it comes after you bring your awareness to that situation. Okay, so yes, I do know five percent doing podcasts, but I could be learning ninety-five percent. So therefore, let's see what's the awakening there. And there could be maybe I need some other partners who have massive global distribution. So therefore, I can increase whatever my goals are for my podcast. Or let's say, what are the alerts? Okay, the alerts could be how much engagements you have with your podcast, how many people are engaging with you. Okay, mm -hmm. so. This is where I'm right now. What would be my desirable stuff? My desirable would be like 100 people talking about my podcast or having 10,000 people downloading my podcast. So you have metrics behind that. Mm -hmm. So if you're not having that, are you really paying attention to that, to growing your channel? Yeah, of course. And if you're not we just paying started attention, doing, we just started are doing you the taking action? Sure. And what you're taking action towards it, and once you've taken the action, once you achieve the result, then you can say, I acknowledge it. Because most people say acknowledgement without really without putting the work in, putting the work in yeah. it, which ties in back with the law of attraction, saying, mm -hmm. I'm going to meditate, mm, I'm going to have a million. No, you're not going to have a million. Yeah. Do out there, do a service for one million people, and then you'll get a million. Mm -hmm. Similar thing. Yep. But yep. this is about around the acronym of alarm, which then brings that inner peace. Most people, if you go about day to day, they don't have inner peace, and I can see it straight away in their eyes. Their body is busy. Mm -hmm. And when the body is busy, the noises you are listening, or the intuition, you might think it's an intuition. It's not intuition, it's a noise. And most people mix the noise with intuition. And the focus, where is your focus? So when you go through that, you will have an increased high, high awareness of that. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you become extremely trustful about your credibility, about your capabilities, no matter what they are but also you trust your body, you trust your mind, you trust your emotions, you trust your feeling of where you are and how your body is communicating to you. Is it ready for an MOT or if it's not? And when you have that, success is given. Then you have a clarity of thought and whatever you do, you do from your place of love and from your heart chakra. So wherever you go, you resonate and actually you radiate, you do not gravitate. And most people gravitate and therefore people perceive to be negative. This is the blueprint on how to be a hippie. Absolutely. <laughs> a successful hippie. No, no, no. Successful, no. successful hippie. Wealthy, successful hippie. There's very few of those. Tony, we're, we're a bit short on time. I mean, I, I could literally sit here for hours and hours and hours, you know. Um, I feel that you, 
you know, you offer some really interesting insights. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning some things as well. So it's, it's fantastic. I like to um, sort of wrap the show up with a bit of a, uh, a kiss and tell. So have you got a girlfriend? Have you got no, a wife? You got a boyfriend? Yeah. So how, how, how did you meet your boyfriend? Oh my God, <laughs> that's a whole story. Yeah. I met him two and, uh, three years and three months now. Uh-huh. I was at my nephew's wedding. He's my eldest nephew in my family. We only have 10 years difference between the two of us. Uh-huh. So he's almost like a little brother. He's my nephew from Switzerland. And um, it's, we were at his wedding. Then I took my nieces. He went on honeymoon. Then uh-huh. I took all of my nieces. We went to a place called Okrit in Skopje, in Macedonia, and which is the western part of Macedonia, the most beautiful, biggest natural lake in Europe. And you have almost 200-something monasteries. It's extremely spiritual, yeah, but nice. beautiful, natural beaches. So we are there with my nieces, and you know, I was single, they are single, so you know, we are all looking for boys. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and uh, I put up my app, my Grindr app, and suddenly I had like 10 <laughs> messages from him. And, you know, he's, he, he wanted sexual experiences. I said, well, I've had those. I'm after a husband. I want somebody who I can, you know, build my life with. Yeah. And uh, I kept sending him pictures of, you know, monasteries and sunset and my family, romantic pictures. He kept sending me sexual visuals. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, clearly, there's no, there's no match between us. <laughs> yeah. So we established that very quickly. I left it. Then after a week, I took my nieces back to Skopje. And then I turned the app again on after a week, and he says, oh, my God, you're 200 meters from me. I know we're not, you know, a match. How about we'll just have a coffee because I really like our conversation. Yeah. And he said, you know how to, you know, bring me back to my center. And I said, sure. So we met. We met by the river Varden, which is very beautiful. A lot of, like, cafeterias, very Mediterranean life uh, in there. And yeah. I'm sitting there waiting for him, and suddenly he comes. And he was dressed up, you know, it was 40 degrees in Macedonia, with shorts and vest, with his glasses. And when he saw me, what, if you interviewed him, he will tell you. He told himself, why did I say that? Because he said to me, he's not romantic, he's not looking for a boyfriend, and all of those things. He was literally sorry for saying those things. So we sat down, but... Something happened in there, which uh, something that uh, it was very unusual. Okay, uh, with me, a lot of unusual things happen. Um, when I saw him, I saw he was in grief. I went back into that human energy field, mm-hmm. and I was observing him. Uh, he was in grief, and suddenly I felt a touch. I turned around, and there's nobody, and he started feeling insecure. But you know, I'm looking probably thought I don't really like him, and I was starting to look up uh, for other men around. But second time I heard the touch, it's almost like a physical touch. And I turned around, nothing. And third time I started hearing a voice, and I had a full download. And it was his mother who passed away. And that was like almost I saw the last three days of his mother passing away. And then I started telling him because she would not leave me alone. And he just burst into tears, and he panicked. and. Uh, he said to me, stop. There's no way you could know any of this information. Who are you? And this is where he dropped his labels because I did not know who this guy was. Uh-huh. And he's actually a cardio surgeon. But in Macedonia, a lot of people are afraid to say they're gay. Yeah. And uh, therefore, we're starting having a real conversation. And then he said to me, let's go out for dinner. And then, you know, I continued to tell him what I saw. And he could just verify everything I said. And he said, there's no way nobody knows those things. So we started with a dinner, and we spent every single day ever, ever since. Wow. How, how long ago has that been? Uh, two years and three months. Wow, going strong, man. And he moved to London about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I never thought I would meet anybody from down there. Yeah. Because pretty much I was very attracted to, I would say, northern European guys rather than sort of the you know, south down there. And reason being because of their internalized homophobia. Not because I don't like them, mm. like uh, look-wise. It's yeah. just I can't be handling, you know, the closeted feeling and all the drama that comes with that. Yeah. Because I had to go through that. And I just didn't want to go back into the closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get you. I wanted an equal partner in my life who is equally free and equally wants to develop a uh, nice life together. And mm-hmm. uh, we've been developing that ever since. Excellent. So it was, you know, that's how we met. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Tony, how, how can uh, everyone out there find out about you? 
Um, they can uh, go to my website, tonyselimi.com, and in there you have all the links across all of my social media, mm -hmm. Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook profile. My Facebook is full, but they can go on my public profile, which is Tony J. Selimi Public. Right. So it's pretty much I'm connected. They can find everything. They can You're everywhere. The I'm everywhere. everywhere. They can watch the interviews. They can follow me on YouTube channel, and I post some all of my interviews in there. And this yeah. week posted in there. I'm sure there's been you know. Yeah, you got a, you got some great content on channel. So the UN speech that guy in the US. Was yeah. some great stuff. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, well, that that's it. It's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you, Tony, totally for much. coming Thank on. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, it's really been insightful, so. and uh, hopefully all the viewers have learned something and uh, taken yeah. it on board. Thank you. Excellent. If you enjoyed the content, follow me on Instagram at London Dating Coach.